Hello and welcome everybody to Web and Beyond Live. I'm Ray Sidney Smith and this is Web and Beyond Live. I am the president of W3 Consulting and the managing director of W3C Web Services, which provides affordable WordPress and web hosting, domain registration, and other web-related services for small business. And Web and Beyond Live is my opportunity to come each week and kind of give you an inside view into kind of what I've been thinking about and seeing and reading on the World Wide Web. And uh, this week, I've got some small business digital marketing news, and then I'd like to talk about some announcements. If you uh, survive through to the end with me, I've got some I think exciting, fun things uh, to share with everybody. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about college students are back. Um, but is that really a good thing for SMBs in college towns? Uh, there's some news about that. Uh, TikTok CEO is out, uh, but Walmart's open call goes virtual at the same time. Some other news, and then I'd like to end our conversation today with a new UK study from a lead generation software company. And they give some insights on social media and lead generation differences between SMBs and enterprise companies and my thoughts on that. And then, as I said, we're going to close out with some uh, what I think are big announcements <laughs> um, and we'll kind of go from there. Uh, so with that, let's start with uh, good morning. Good morning, everybody. And uh, so let's start with uh, my, my first thought here, which is. TikTok and um, just kind of seeing what's happening in the world of TikTok. So I'm just going to bring this up on screen so you can see this and uh, hopefully you can see this article. And so as you can see, uh, TikTok, uh, the CEO, Kevin Mayer, Meyer, uh, he quit. Um, he was at Disney and he was um, hoping to be picked by Bob Iger to be the um, kind of, you know, successor uh, to, to the Disney CEO um, position. And he wasn't chosen, presumably, and so he left and joined TikTok in May. And this just continues to show the fallout of the situation with regard to the uh, China trade war with the U.S. And uh, so here we are. We're you know several months in, and uh, he has uh, inevitably um, you know just decided to leave. So he's left, um, you know, May to now in August, uh, he's left. And, uh, and so new leadership will take over. But this, the only reason I bring this story up at all is for the mere fact that we're, um, we're seeing more and more tumult in and around TikTok. And, you know, from my perspective, we really just don't need um, TikTok, you know, to be able to get in front of our uh, small business audience generally. And so I'm not particularly concerned about TikTok in that sense. And so folks who are and have been concerned and sharing that concern with me about TikTok, I'm, I fully get it. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm still consuming on TikTok, uh, but I am not generating content on TikTok, certainly for my business or for any of the guidance I've been giving other clients. So just don't, I wouldn't worry so much about that right now. Um, that being the case, uh, moving right along in terms of kind of the TikTok world, uh, think about it from the perspective that TikTok is a fast-growing network and um, how the mighty fall, right? Uh, but you know they have 80 million monthly active users in the U.S. currently. It's about a 60-40 uh, female-male split. And um, you know, younger crowd, you know, so in the in the younger demographics, so 16 to 24 year old age range, and uh, so you know, if you are interested in doing TikTok and your business really focuses on that split, go for it. Um, but I'm just 
you know, I just, I keep getting more and more questions each week about, should I be on TikTok? Should I be on TikTok? And the answer is, uh, don't worry about it. You don't need to be on TikTok. I mean, focus on the social network where you feel most comfortable and you can always grow from there. Uh, but I feel a lot of people keep, you know, I've gotten at least a dozen emails in the last week of people asking me about that question. So I just want to make sure everybody's aware I am not advocating for jumping on TikTok. Certainly not in this environment. Um, it's certainly getting a boost. And I and I said that last week, you know, it's gotten a boost uh, because of all of the notoriety being, um, you know, levied on it um, by virtue of this um, very public uh, conflict. You know, they've sued uh, or they are suing the uh, the White House uh, for what they believe is uh, you know discriminatory action toward them and, and all this other stuff. So you know there's get they're getting a lot of publicity out of this, um, and that's going to obviously uh, I think benefit them ultimately. Um, but you know the the platform itself is designed around making really fun short videos. Uh, Instagram has brought that feature to bear with Reels, as we talked about again last week. So I think that you can probably do the same level of engagement on a platform that is not having this kind of negative uh, publicity. Uh, several other countries are considering whether or not to ban TikTok as well. Uh, so that will ultimately hurt its revenues. And so we're not sure. So I'm on the sidelines. If you are a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, risk, um, aphilic, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're willing to take on more risk, go for it and uh, see what happens and let us know. Um, I'm, I'm very curious to see other people's experiences with both creating TikToks, uh, but also uh, with uh, what their thoughts are in terms of, of jumping on the bandwagon or not. Um, next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Walmart. Um, so each year, uh, Walmart um, brings on to uh, um, host an event they call the Open Call, and it's for uh, manufacturers. Uh, in as a part of their supplier and diversity program to bring new uh, suppliers into the fold. And of course, because of COVID-19, uh, they have decided to do this as a virtual open call. And uh, so just if you know people who are uh, uh, physical you know, product manufacturers, uh, this is happening this year. If you um, go to the link in the video, I'll put, place links to this right after we get off. Um, the show, and you will see the links to this. But the open calls on October 1st, people have to go to the Walmart uh, corporate website, apply for the virtual open call, and, uh, and, and they can go ahead and pitch their product uh, to the folks at Walmart to see if they can't be brought into the store as a part of their um, online shopping experience, as well as I think physical um, store in-store products as well. So it's a really great opportunity. You they used to have to go to Arkansas to be able to uh, show their wares, and now they can do it virtually. So I think it's a really good uh, move in the right direction. So that is the open call, virtual first virtual open call that Walmart is doing. And uh, and that leads us to my next bit of news. Uh, so I have been reading over the weekend about the kind of going back to college, you know, all the students are going back to college. I have lots of colleagues who have just made made the the trek uh, where they've taken their kids to school and they're now uh, returned back and kind of the, you know, the good and the bad of, of, of getting new students uh, to college and getting them settled in and so on and so forth. And of course, you know, you have a lot of um, interesting feedback I'm getting from some of the businesses that are actually in and around college environments. Um, so, 
from my perspective, it's not necessarily um, all that positive that I'm hearing in terms of uh, a you know dramatic uptick in sales or those kinds of things. And so just remember that when you're talking to other businesses that are in college towns, uh, you have to be cognizant of the fact that they may not actually benefit from those college students uh, coming back in in mass. Um, and part of it is because a lot of students are still remote, right? They're, they're not coming to the actual campuses. A lot of them are um, also ordering through apps. And so if those businesses are not as savvy about being able to get onto, you know, DoorDash and Uber Eats and so on and so forth. A lot of those food-based businesses are not getting um, are not getting the, the the traffic that they once did. And the other part is that um, when when we think about the overall kind of um, retail environment, there are just different varying or different or varying levels of lockdown that are happening. And because of that, some of those businesses have chosen not to open, even though they have you know, these students that are coming uh, for fear of any number of reasons, right? The, you know, the owner has a pre-existing condition that's that's going to make them susceptible. They're not going to open those kinds of things. So um, it's a it's a mixed bag. I mean, the, the July numbers came out and uh, while different news publications based on their political leanings have kind of read this in different ways. Um, I, I picked up Market Watch because it seemed to be the most independent report. And their their headline was consumer spending is up 1.9% in July. And in essence, they said that the economic recovery is losing some momentum. Uh, so uh, it it's to be determined. I think we're in this gray area where we saw a boost in July in terms of consumer spending because people were able to come back out. Of course, we're going to see consumer spending slow again as uh, varying levels of, of um, ticks up and down in the uh, coronavirus infections um, happen throughout the country. So we're just going to see this mishmash of different things happening. So I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, optimistic in the sense that I think that we as individual business owners are starting to figure it out uh, how we're gonna how we're going to be able to sell in this environment how we're going to be able to reopen safely and uh, we're going to be able to start seeing some of the changes happen over the course of time at the same time uh, I think that that we're still seeing a bloodletting of a lot of, of restaurant and retail businesses that are just not capable of, of staying ahead of the game uh, in line with that MGM, just announced that they were going to uh, let go 18,000 workers. Uh, and so these uh, they, this was the Las Vegas-based casino. And unfortunately, with the uh, reality of them having furloughed those employees now, um, they are going to um, let them go because you know PPP is running out, has run out for them. Uh, they are not able to see another economic stimulus package coming out of Congress anytime soon. Uh, and, you know, maybe Congress will wait till the very last moment, right before the election, to try and uh, curry favor among uh, voting constituencies. Unfortunately, that leaves us as small business owners, and it seems like you know MGM uh, Resorts as large business owners, kind of with our our um, you know our our own left to our own devices to, to work through this um, pandemic response and, and recovery process. Um, again, I'm, I'm optimistic that we will be able to start to see some economic recovery happen in the next few uh, months, uh, but then we're gonna see another uh, downtick because if the virus does 
uh, pick back up in terms of infection rate plus the flu season, you know, yada, yada, yada. We have some compounding factors, I think, at the end of the year that's going to kind of drive down uh, consumer optimism, which means that we're not going to have as much, uh, you know, retail and uh, activity going on in those in those late months. And we'll probably see a, a slower holiday uh, buying season as well. Uh, so that's kind of what I've been reading in the various financial uh, literature and uh, it's unfortunate, but it's just kind of a reality. Um, so uh, that's kind of my take on what's happening in that market. I did have two little minor things that I thought were interesting that came up as well in the news. So uh, if you don't know, there is a, a Bitcoin exchange and platform that is called Coinbase. And Coinbase is a kind of a it's a it's a it's a platform, obviously an exchange, as I said. It allows you to be able to turn fiat currency, you know, US dollars. Uh, Chinese yuan, whatever uh, currency into uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies uh, more generally. And uh, they have rolled out some features for small business owners that allow them to be able to take uh, cryptocurrency payments, Bitcoin uh, payments, uh, where people would normally be paying in, uh, you know, USD or Canadian or or otherwise. Uh, so um, this is actually really great. I think that it, it is one of those important um, functions for us all to be able to. Uh, if you want to give me money as a business, I should be able to take that money. <laughs> um, uh, within law and reason, um, merchants should be able to take, uh, you know, whatever I want to offer a value. And uh, so now uh, Coinbase is providing merchants with the ability to obviously take payment, but they're capable of doing partial refunds now within within the application. And they're connecting more and more um, uh you know, e-commerce platforms uh, to their system. Uh, so they'll be able to do some of these more um, sophisticated functions. And so I'm just looking forward to seeing more and more merchants uh, take cryptocurrencies generally. And uh, so this is kind of just a little tiny, uh, you know, drop in the bucket, I think, toward that direction. But we're going to see more and more cryptocurrency payments uh, coming onto the pike and more people being interested in, in gaining access to it. Uh, one other little minor item that I thought was just interesting, uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and on Twitter uh, uh, earlier today, I think I saw this um, very interesting uh, tweet, which was about, I'm going to try and zoom in for, for it, into it for you here. Um, but this tweet, as you can see here, uh, this uh, LinkedIn influencer, she was talking about the fact that on LinkedIn, uh, someone had told her that if you put a an emoji in front of your name, uh, people who are using automation tools to send connection requests then kind of get tripped up because the software picks up the the emoji as the thing to say, you know, hello, so and so, your name, your first name in the system, and she is confirming that you know that is the case. I may try this. I'm not sure. I I don't particularly. Um, care about getting these automated messages, they are fairly easily identifiable. I mean, when I get them and I get a lot of them, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I know that it's a, it's fake and I just go ahead and, uh, you know, ignore those kinds of requests. Uh, but if you are getting a lot and you're not quite sure, this is one way that you can determine it, that you can put a fun little emoji at the front of your uh, name in the, uh, in the LinkedIn profile. And that will go ahead and uh, kind of let you know when you get those kinds of messages that they are uh, actually not real people. Oh, not real. Maybe they're real people, but they're not real uh, legitimate requests in my mind because they're you know people who are just 
churning through these things. Okay, um, now to kind of my final thoughts, um, kind of my main thoughts of this episode today, which is really talking about this study. So uh, there's a UK study done by a company called prospects.ai, and what they do is they, uh, they have a lead generation software, they're in beta, and they are trying to cover the gamut of both small companies and large companies to do that. And so this Forbes article came out kind of covering the study. Now, what I thought was odd was that I wasn't able to actually find, I wanna bring this up on screen, I wasn't able to find the actual study itself. And so I'm, I'm only capable of reading, um, it's not letting me zoom in on the text here. There we go. Um, I'm, I wasn't able to actually read the, the content of the study itself, uh, but in essence, this particular study, uh, it surveyed 750 senior decision makers and, uh, and it wanted to see how large companies and small were employing social media and lead generation uh, strategies across the board, various tactics. And these were the, the insights they brought up and to me, kind of the, the thoughts I had about them. One is that the first key insight they had was generating leads, and I'm quoting here, generating leads is a bigger issue for larger firms. Now they noted here that 74% of larger firms said that this was their biggest challenge, whereas in the small firm set, uh, they said that was only 49% um, as their top challenge. That doesn't really say much to me. <laughs> I have to admit, I was, you know, when, when we think about the fact that, uh, you know, these 750 firms said that their top challenge was lead generation. 50% uh, and 75% still tells me a wide number of businesses struggle with lead generation. 50% uh, and 75%, a 25% spread is not something that is uh, significant in my eyes to say that that's not a huge challenge for both small and large together. So that means we're all in it together in the sense that we're all having uh, difficulty generating uh, leads. And we should all be mindful of that reality um, as we are thinking through our strategies for both working together and otherwise uh, in terms of, of generating leads. So it's a problem across the board. Next up, they say that large companies, uh, quoting here again, large companies tend to be more active in social media platforms to understand consumers. 76% of larger firms use social media platforms to profile potential customers. In contrast, only 47% of small firms do so. And so in essence, uh, what this really means is that you have larger firms, they have greater access to uh, resources, and they're capable of profiling potential customers, uh, getting information, all of that kind of stuff to be able to see what that customer does. Uh, you need to be doing uh, buyer personas, you need to be building out those uh, kind of fictional uh, personas, fictional characters, avatars for who your best customers are, so that you're better uh, accessing and looking for those people on social media. That's the end result there. If you're not building a buyer persona for the people you're targeting, then you don't know who you're targeting. And that means uh, you're gonna have uh, lower uh, efficacy with regard to any strategy or campaign. Uh, next up, they say larger companies, 51% uh, uh, tend to rely on cold calling uh, than smaller companies who only have, you know, do that at a 15% rate. It makes a lot of sense uh, that larger companies are doing more cold calling. Uh, they have the access to, again, an on-hand on sales staff usually, and you know, they have sales uh, people who are doing that or they're outsourcing that to companies who are doing that. Uh, but that is to say that there is an opportunity there for cold calling. Uh, 
I'm not particularly a cold caller and I'm probably not going to start. Uh, but for those companies and businesses where that would make a lot of sense, it clearly tells you there's an opportunity there for small firms uh, that are willing to do more cold calling. Uh, for lead generation purposes. Um, next up, it says uh, smaller companies tend to be slightly more active in using social media platforms to promote, market, and or sell products and services than large companies. Uh, again, a 70% to 67% split here, a 3%, I'm guessing that's within the margin of error. So it seems to me like everybody is on social media and everybody is trying to be active. Uh, I, I don't understand the the very slight differentiation between 70% uh, and 67% here. Uh, this is again, you know, the difficulty with reading and understanding the statistics of any particular study is that you need to see the underlying data to really get a, an, an access to it here. I think it's useful and informative on some level, uh, but on some other level, you know, some of these things just read wrong to me. Uh, next up, we have smaller companies. Again, quoting here, small companies, 22% also tend to send generic non-personalized email to their entire database, uh, which is less often than, than large companies at 69%. Okay, so I just did a webinar on this, and I'm so, so um, uh, glad that this came up in the study, uh, but this is statistically significant. It shows that smaller companies are doing a really, really poor job of personalizing in general. So uh, as, I, as I frequently say, personalization is the future of commerce. Personalization is the future of commerce. As we have more information about our customers, if we, as we collect more information and are capable of collecting more information about people, uh, we are then able to better customize, you know, personalize the relationship and the experience, the digital retail experience for people. That means that as business owners, we need to really be focusing on helping under people understand that we understand them. Uh, again, on the other end of every piece of technology uh, in terms of marketing is another heart and mind. That's Those are the people we're trying to affect. We're not trying to, you know, get greater numbers. We're not trying to do all of those kinds of things. We should really be trying to affect another heart and mind on the other side of the technology. And and if we can personalize that, that's just, you know, saying their name, making sure that we're putting in and depositing the right information, in this case, email. Emails should not be just sent out blanketedly to an entire list of people. They should be uh, customized and tailored to the audience. Uh, I've, I've made a, a pretty much a rule, which is to say that outside of, say, an email newsletter, which would go out to everybody, and even then, sometimes that's not the case, but other than an email newsletter, which you perceive widely everybody would want to receive from a business, uh, any other emails need to be tailored and sent to specific segments or groups of an email list. No email should be the same going out to people like that. Okay, uh, next up, just a couple more items in, in here that I thought were really uh, useful and interesting. Uh, they talked about the fact that despite larger companies being more engaged in newer technologies, uh, they said that um, the, the, it says 56% of the decision makers from those firms, those larger entities, believe that their businesses are outdated in the way they market and sell to potential customers. This contrasts with smaller firms, and they said 65% of those larger firms believe that their business needs to invest in new marketing and sales technologies, while only 40% of those small businesses believe that's the case. And uh, this is where, again, small businesses are being penny-wise and pound-foolish. Uh, new technologies are and need to be embraced. We really need to be paying attention to what we're doing and how we're doing that so that we're able to get you know, better in front of the audiences that we need to get in front of. 
And many times that means using technologies to do that. Uh, we, we are frequently afraid of learning the new technologies. Uh, I, I have to readily admit I'm not a big fan of TikTok because I don't really want to learn to create TikToks. <laughs> um, I'm learning them for my clients and learning them uh, because I have to. Uh, but there is an internal conflict there, right? Which is that, uh, do I really want to have to learn how to use another social network and their, you know, fan-dangled new way of doing things uh, just so that I can market my business. And that's the conflict that we're dealing with as small business owners. And what we need to do is overcome that initial inertia uh, and that conflict that we have internally to say, okay, um, what is the what is the logical, rational reason for me wanting to embrace this technology? Can it really get me in front of the right audience? And can first mover op you know, opportunities uh, really make for a huge uh, potential inroad for me to that to that market, and uh, and that's why I've chosen to say, um, and I'm I'm standing by it right now. Uh, this might change after the election, but right now I think that TikTok is not in a position to demand that I start marketing on their platform. Now, in terms of advertising, as I've said before, I'm really bullish on that. I think that that's a, a great opportunity. If you want to put money into advertising on TikTok, and your demographic is that you know under 40 crowd, uh, you know, and and you really want to target high in on uh, the upper teens, young adult crowd, absolutely spend money there and you'll get results with great ad, ad campaigns and ad copy. Um, but why should I get active and engaged in building a community there when I don't really need to? And that also requires me to learn new technology, right? So we have to make that, um, you know, kind of call in terms of things. Um, uh, Robin from Startup to Growth, hi Robin, uh, is noting that email is very effective and some small business owners still don't believe that. And so she's glad to see that mentioned, um, you know, that personalized email is mentioned in the study. Yeah, it's also really, really inexpensive. I, I cannot um, speak more highly of email and how important email is uh, in the context of uh, cost for your ability to do it. Uh, I think that it's the glue that holds together almost any good digital marketing strategy today. And uh, and it's a part of the internet, right? It's, email is a fundamental protocol um, structured into uh, the ecosystem that we know is the internet, not just the World Wide Web, not just the parts the governments use, not just the parts that NGO uses, but it's a part of the backbone of the internet. Um, and then uh, last but not least, it says, although larger firms indicated a greater need to invest in new technologies, uh, that said 60% of decision makers in large firms also suggested that they don't have the budget to invest in new technologies, and 58% uh, don't believe that they have the culture or skills to embrace new technologies, which is really, really sad. Uh, there's more than half of them don't believe that. Among uh, small firms, it's about 50% believe they don't have the budgets, and about 40% believe they don't have the culture to invest in new uh, and, and or embrace those technologies. Um, I, I, I think this is also a really important uh, feature in all of this, which is to think about this, which is to say that small firms, small businesses actually have the luxury of not being um, so stressed about having a, a, you know, too much culture to change. If you have a small staff, you know, even if you're up to 100, 200 employees, you still have the ability to move that that entity toward a greater adoption of new technologies, whereas if you have 10,000 or 100,000 employees, it's going to be much more difficult to move that behemoth of an engine. Uh, smaller businesses are more nimble. If you're in the one-person to 10-person shop, it's going to be much easier to adopt new technology and train those people than it is on the higher ends. Uh, what I tend to, to um, kind of argue with is that somehow we don't have the budget to be able to make those things happen. Um, I, I'm coming across 
new technology every day where the technologies are either free or very low cost to get into. Now, uh, what can happen is a death by a thousand cuts. Uh, this comes into mind just because I've been in this journey this year. Uh, I don't know what number this is, but we're in maybe the 36th, 37th week of the year. So this is about my 30-something um, uh, live stream. And so I've been trying new technologies and trying different uh, ways to get uh, video to work for W3 Consulting and W3C Web Services. And um, the remarkable part is that, you know, I have, uh, you know, $25 here and $50 here for this service. And then, oh, I want to try this. So that's $10 uh, per month and that kind of thing. And then when all is said and done, it's, you know, several hundred dollars per month we're spending for uh, access to the various tools um, across the board. And, and so that's the thing that I'm fearful of is keeping mindful of, you know, you know, once you have four and five and six subscriptions for different types of, of technologies to be able to patchwork together for any particular marketing strategy, now you're going to come up against a real issue of, is this money going to pay off very soon and give me, say, 10x the return on investment so that it's actually worth it for me to be investing in, that, in the dollars in that particular um, category. So just keep that in mind. I think it's really important to kind of um, understand the costs uh, versus the benefits of any new technology being invested, but do not get caught up in this uh, perspective that somehow uh, you don't have the money uh, to be able to do so because the reality is, is that um, most businesses um, if they're in business and they're making money, you can probably, uh, you know, allot some to new technologies and make good on it. Um, Robin's asking, um, are they different? Um, are they differentiating between newsletters and general email outreach? Uh, it seemed to me in that particular uh, category, no, that they were they were doing that across all email marketing that would include uh, direct. Uh, you know, email campaigns along with newsletter campaigns. So they didn't really. Um, uh, it it it. It, it really wasn't differentiating between the two of them. Again, I haven't seen the study or the underlying data, so um, you know I could be completely wrong there. But that's how I how I read it from uh, reading the article a few times, and I just don't know. But I, you know, again, I would I would say that they were probably doing this across all um, email marketing, you know, outreach, and that's how this. If I were if I were serving, um, you know, the audience, um, I would be curious to separate those two pieces. But it didn't seem like they did that in this particular case. Okay, um, I have a few announcements uh, that I wanted to let everybody know about uh, before we close out today. And so thank you for joining us here for Web and Beyond Live. And hopefully um, you can join us again next week and the week after that. Uh, and so uh, a couple things. One is um, I was reached out to by a colleague who um, is in a PhD program and his uh, fellow student his, is working on his dissertation and needs to interview some small business owners. Uh, so if you, um, are a small business owner, which I'm hoping you are, or if you know small business owners, um, please uh, go ahead and email me if you are interested in doing the inter interview. It's probably a short interview, I'm guessing, uh, 10 to 15 minutes, uh, and uh, he just needs to interview some small business owners. I'm presuming all the data is confidential and so on and so forth. He's doing, you know, he's got to send you an email uh, that has all the, you know, um, academic, bureaucratic, uh, you know, disclaimers and so on and so forth, uh, but he's, he needs to interview some folks. And so uh, feel free to email me. Uh, my email address is on screen. And uh, if you are listening to the podcast afterward, it's Ray at uh, w the number three c i n c dot com. And so uh, go ahead and email me and I'll put you in touch with him and, and you guys can uh, figure out the rest of that. Uh, but that is uh, just a, you know, 
uh, academic research uh, kind of thing. And I just wanted to put a shout out there for him uh, for for that purpose. Uh, next up, um, tomorrow is actually um, the first small business virtual roundtable. And uh, so uh, going forward, I will be hosting a small business virtual roundtable once a month. And it is a video meeting. And it's a part of my next announcement, which I'll explain. Uh, but in essence, what the Small Business Virtual Roundtable is, is an opportunity for small business owners like yourself to come together and discuss pertinent topics about marketing and managing on the web and beyond. And so uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about creating digital marketing alliances. And then we'll have different topics each month, October, November, December, and so forth around uh, the year. And uh, we're, we're typically going to do those on, on the first Tuesday of the month, uh, unless otherwise noted in the calendar events. Now, if you already RSVP'd, you're good to go. And uh, you should have the Zoom link and everything else like that. For anyone else who's interested, you will go to w3cinc.com forward slash uh, roundtable. So if you just go to that w3cinc.com forward slash roundtable link, you'll see the registration there and you'll find out all the details to be able to join. We're charging a nominal fee for anyone that I don't know uh, and who's outside of that space. And it's just to make sure that people show up. I mean, I don't I don't really care about the 10 bucks or whatever it is, uh, but I just want to make sure that uh, people who are going to attend are serious. And so I'm very excited to um, bring together those folks. I'm hoping between you know 20 to 50 folks each month uh, who can come together, do a bit a little, little bit of networking, and can learn from each other and share from each other and network amongst each other over time. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm very excited about it. And I've been, I don't know if most people know this, but I've been uh, facilitating, I think for the past 11 years or so, uh, the in-person physical round table at the Alexandria Small Business Development Center. And uh, because of COVID-19 and the pandemic, that has been suspended. And I'm looking forward to you know, doing it again in the future in person. Uh, but this is a new program that allows folks who are beyond the Alexandria, Virginia area to be able to uh, get together and meet and uh, network and grow. And I'm really looking forward to it as a part of that. Uh, next up is um, something that's really, really um, near and dear to my heart, which is that I've decided to launch a new uh, newsletter, uh, talking about newsletters. Um, it's called the Web and Beyond Report. And uh, in essence, if you're on the email newsletter, um, good to go. You're great there. If you're not, then you can go to the website and you can sign up um, for the newsletter on our website. And if you can't find it on the website somehow, uh, it usually pops up somewhere or it's on one of the pages, uh, go ahead and shoot me an email and I'll be happy to add you to the newsletter. Uh, we are um, launching it tomorrow. So September 1st will be our first day. And um, in essence, we're going to share, you know, inside news, talk about some of our product updates, and um, share with you all the various research and, uh, you know, resources and content that we're producing on a monthly basis. I put out a lot of content across all of the various ecosystems. I wanted to be able to um, put that together into one place for people to access. It's one of the number one requests is, Ray, you're you create so much content, where can we access it all? And uh, so this will hopefully uh, give everybody that um, you know content in one space. It's just uh, once a month and, uh, and in that one email. And then last but not least, and also uh, a really big deal for me is um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and everything else going on, I have been in the process of trying to figure out what to do with, uh, with kind of W3 Consulting with all of our services and everything else like that. And uh, what I decided to do was to launch a digital community for small business owners. And uh, to start off with, we're going to, it's free to join as a small business owner. You should be a small business owner to join. And then after that, 
Um, we'll do, obviously, the Small Business Virtual Roundtable will be housed in there. I have different groups dedicated to different areas of, of content, uh, but we'll do live classes. We'll have, uh, I'm going to be launching um, different, you know, kinds of paid courses. Uh, since my specialty is in training, I want to Kind of focus in on that space and do some live courses to really you know if you want to invest in setting up say an email marketing strategy uh, having a group of people in a cohort to work through making that happen uh, so that's kind of my um, desire and interest and in, in seeing how that all works so web and beyond community is uh, alive and uh, and is running i think we have our first one or two three folks who i've been um, alpha testing the platform with and now we'll be uh, inviting uh, the broader community of folks in so if you're listening to this you can go to web and beyond so a and d web and beyond dot community you can sign up you can join us it's free and uh and then you can join us for uh upcoming events i've got a webinar series that'll be launching inside the platform and i'm looking forward to really uh connecting with everybody in uh, a, a kind of a meaningful way right like how do we actually make small business development happen how do we make small business growth happen and so i'm looking forward to having you all uh, join me on that journey uh so with that that brings us to the end of Web and Beyond. And uh, so Sharon, hi, Sharon. <laughs> she said, yay. Um, and so, yay, yes, I'm very excited about all of the, the developments and um, bringing together all of the various disparate um, communities that I've been a part of all these all this time, all these years. And uh, But either way, we've come to the end of Web and Beyond this week. Uh, I had a couple of announcements, so I apologize for going over a bit. But um, if you've enjoyed the live stream, feel free to hit the thumbs up icon on YouTube. That does help us grow our uh, small business listening viewing audience. And so thank Thank you for doing that. Um, if you have a question, feel free to leave a comment on the video. You can also tweet or uh, DM me on uh, Twitter at W3Consulting, W, the number three, consulting. Uh, I'm usually active on Twitter. And uh, join us again next week, every Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern. I come live for Web and Beyond Live. Uh, so thanks so much for spending this Web and Beyond Live with me. I'm Ray Sidney Smith on behalf of W3 Consulting and W3C Web Services. Have a great week ahead, marketing and managing on the Web and Beyond. Take care, everybody.